Is there credible evidence that Brian Koberger was messaging a victim? Another Brian appears in court for his wife's disappearance. A huge game of chicken in the Alex Murdoch case. Um, Ron Jeremy is not going to be standing trial. And if you are going to get arrested, have a theme song. I highly recommend that. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. First, I want to apologize. Didn't put up a video yesterday, and we didn't go live, and we didn't do our Patreon show. Apologies. My apologies. That's what happens when you travel via commercial airlines. That's right. Nothing is on time. The airports are nothing more than the bus terminal of the um, 80s here today. Uh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And as a result of that, we were unable to make it back in time to do our live. But I will make it up to you sometime later this week. I'm not sure when, but we'll do it. Or maybe we'll go extra long next week. We'll figure something out. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment and hit that little bell. And remember, you can always listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Just simply type in Crime Talk. All right. Let's support the people that support Crime Talk. Listen, Everybody needs information. Information is power. And if somebody new is coming into your life, you need to check them out. How are you going to do that? You're going to go to a background subscription service and just hit the link below, crimetalksearch.com, and you will be able to sign up for one. And while you have the subscription, now remember, you can cancel at any time. You can do as many searches as you want. And literally the search is done while you wait and you'll have that report emailed to you within minutes. And it's going to have information that you need to know about individuals. Do they have a criminal history? Are they in one of those public registries, if you know what I'm talking about? Um, are they married? Are they truly divorced? Do they have judgments against them? Do they have liens against them? Things you want to know when you're going to get involved with somebody. Maybe it's your kid's friends. You're just not getting that warm, fuzzy feeling about. Check them out. Go to Crime Talk Search. Dot com. You'll be happy you did. All right, let's go ahead and uh, open the record for January 18th of 2023, and let's begin the docket. First on the docket, was Brian Koberger messaging a victim? Well, it's now being alleged that Brian Koberger messaged one of the female victims weeks before the quadruple slain, and apparently, allegedly, sent more direct messages after she allegedly ignored him. Now, somebody in the police, speaking on anonymity uh, with a magazine, said that Koberger reached out to one of the four University of Idaho students over Instagram repeatedly in an attempt to get her attention. So Koberger allegedly DM'd several times, but there was no response. So basically, it was apparently him saying, hey, how are you? But he did it again and again, unknown at the time which student Koberger sent these uh, Instagram messages to or to who the investigators familiar with the case is that's talking. So this unidentified source said that whether the woman Koberger allegedly messaged deliberately ignored him or if the messages he sent went into her requested folder from people she wasn't friends with. Those messages don't appear as alerts and are hard to see. So we do know that the 
victim, Kaylee Gonsalves, is said to have complained of a stalker in the run-up to the killings, but it's unclear if there's any link between this and her murder. Now, Mr. Koberger has maintained his innocence in the stabbing death of uh, Kaylee, Madison, Chapin, and Zena. Um, we'll give him the presumption of innocence as well. But some people are starting to uh, state that the uh, evidence against Koberger is beginning to pile up. We'll wait and see. But of course, since there's a gag order and uh, nobody can make comments whatsoever, we're left to listen to anonymous sources. So I'm a firm believer that you have to take anonymous sources with some skepticism. Otherwise, why wouldn't they go on the record? If they're not willing to go on the record, you know, uh, it's you got to take it with a grain of salt. Now, the Instagram account in question apparently was viewed by this magazine prior to uh, the site being taken down. Now, allegedly, Koberger um, followed uh, Mogan, Gonsalves, and Kernodal on various occasions, and apparently did not publicly interact with their accounts otherwise, um, according to this uh, magazine. In these alleged messages now sent from this deleted Instagram, uh, Koberger appeared to be hoping to get the attention of the victim that he was targeting. Um, the victim may have completely missed these messages. She may not have even seen them because they went into this message request, according to the uh, source of this information. The DAs were, the DMs were allegedly sent in October, just weeks before the uh, November 13th slains. So when an Instagram user apparently doesn't follow back, attempts to send a message, it goes to a designated folder called message requests. These requests are located in a different place than the typical messages. Uh, the, ins the investigator apparently also has stated that um, they're still trying to determine how aware the victims were of this existence of these messages. The uh, source also apparently said that Koberger was definitely persistent in the message um, to the Idaho student, the unnamed Idaho student. Now, um, like I said, take this with a grain of salt, but we're putting this out there, but understand it's uncorroborated and it's from an anonymous source. You just, you know, if they're not willing to go raise their hand and testify to in court or put their name behind it, like I said, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. Now, Let's just say hypothetically that everything about this is true. So this guy sees an attractive girl at school, tries to uh, you know find her on Instagram, and sends her a message: "Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? What's up?" Doesn't necessarily mean that he killed somebody. Well, it necessarily wouldn't. I guess the prosecution's theory would be that well, he was so obsessed with one of these young ladies that he became so upset and enraged that he was rebuffed by his alleged advance by sending a DM. I know that's the way young people communicate these days. They don't really ever talk to anybody because it takes actual guts to go talk to somebody face-to-face -face, uh, or pick up the phone and actually speak with them versus just being a keyboard warrior. Uh, so I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. And we're going to have to see if this gets corroborated. Now, all right, next. Well, Steve Gonsalves, the father of uh, Kaylee Gonsalves, has shed a little more light on the 911 call placed by the roommates when they realized that something had gone terribly wrong. 
So we know there's been a lot of speculation about why the roommates didn't call 911 until around noon the day following the homicides. But Gonzalez gave an interview on today, and he says, you got to remember, these two girls were so upset that when they went outside after seeing this, one passed out and the other was hyperventilating that the message wasn't clear enough for the 911 operator. Now, in the affidavit released, one of the surviving roommates said that uh, she said a figure dressed in an all black and wearing a mask walked towards her. She then locked herself in her room. Police have still not identified a motive for this attack, and the probable the probable cause preliminary hearing is not set until June 26. Now, the upcoming preliminary hearing, where both sides can, in theory, uh, present evidence, but it's going to be a discovery tool for the defense, and the prosecution is going to have to lay out their case to establish probable cause. Understand, at this point, the detective could literally get up and regurgitate what he put in his affidavit for the arrest warrant and probable cause would be found. Probable cause is simply what a reasonable person believe that a crime was committed and that Mr. Koberger committed it. Very low standard, not the same standard of proof at trial, which is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Somebody asked a question, how could you hold somebody when they haven't met their standard? The standard is low. At the, the standard is very low uh, throughout the proceedings unless and until at trial the prosecution can prove each and every element of the offense beyond a reasonable doubt. If the government failed to prove just one element of the offense, it would be the solemn oath and obligation of the jury to find any defendant not guilty. However, if the prosecution proves their case beyond a reasonable doubt, it is the solemn oath and obligation for the jurors to find the defendant guilty, whether it's Mr. Koberger or any defendant. We'll simply have to see how all this evidence comes out in the future. Stay tuned. All right, next on the docket, another guy named Brian. Hmm, coincidence? I don't know, but Brian Walsh was uh, ordered held without bail in the disappearance of his wife this morning. Now, prosecutors revealed that he used his son's iPad to make some disturbing Google searches, including how to stop a body from decomposing. How long before a body starts to smell? So Brian Walsh appeared uh, somewhat stone-faced at one point, shook his head as he was arraigned in the Quincy District Court on charges of murder and tampering with a body without a proper authority, stemming from the disappearance of his wife, Anna Walsh. The district attorney, Lind Beeland, uh, this morning laid out the um, Brian's sketchy behavior in the days after he claimed that Anna had in fact vanished in the early hours of New Year's Day when the mom of three allegedly left his Cohasset home for a work emergency. Around 4.55 a.m. January 1st, Beeland alleged records indicate that Brian used his young son's iPad to Google how long before a body starts to smell and how to stop a body from decomposing. He also searched how long for someone to be missing to inherit. Hmm. It's always about the money, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Anyway, um, apparently Anna supported the family, including the couple's three sons, aged two through six, through her high-paying uh, real estate gig. Uh, Brian, who pled guilty to federal fraud charges back in 2021, was under home confinement at the time of her disappearance. And uh, the internet searches uh, continued throughout the morning of January 1st with some other queries like, how long does DNA last? And dismemberment and the best ways to dispose of a body. Those, I think, could be used against him, 
couldn't they? Well, after buying three carpets at Home Goods on January 2nd, he allegedly Googled hacksaw best tool to dismember. Can you be charged with murder without a body? And can you identify a body with broken teeth? Kind of gives you some example of maybe what happened to Anna, doesn't it? Well, the same day, uh, the district attorney, Bielan, said that Brian went to Home Depot. Previous reports confirmed that he bought $450 in cleaning supplies. The uh, summary also uh, listed a Tyvek bodysuit, mops, and baking soda among some of the purchases. Now, on January 3rd, a man in a Volvo vehicle matching Brian's description was seen on surveillance uh, placing heavy trash bags and dumpsters at apartment complexes in Broxton and Abington. The same day, he also allegedly made searches related to hair on a dead body and the rate of decomposition of remains in a plastic bag versus those in the woods, plus the impact of baiting keen soda on the odor of decomposition. Now, by the time the investigators were alerted to Anna's disappearance and checked the dumpsters in question, the district attorney explained that the bags had already been transferred and destroyed. However, the same could not be said for the trash bags Brian was thought to have disposed of at his mother's apartment complex in Swemscott where his phone placed him on January 5th. Now, police traced the bags to a trash transfer station in Peabody, which is apparently north of Boston, and then um, they found bloodstained carpet, hatchet, and hacksaws that were previously reported, according to the district attorney. Law enforcement found towels, slippers, tape, and a Tyvek suit matching the one that Brian allegedly purchased days earlier. Also among the rubbish was a Prada purse, and hunter boots matching what Anna was said to have been wearing when she was last seen. Apparently, a COVID vaccination card in her name was also found as well. DNA analysis of the items revealed both Anna and Brian's genetic material on the bloody slipper and on the Tyvek suit. Now, the district attorney concluded her explanation of the alleged scheme by noting that on December 27th, just days before Anna went missing, Brian Googled, what's the best state for divorce for a man? Rather than divorce, it's believed that uh, Mr. Brian Walsh killed and dismembered Anna Walsh and then discarded her body. The judge agreed with the prosecution's request to hold this other guy named Brian without bail. The suspect was then escorted from the courtroom. We've said it once, we'll say it again. The 12 undeniable truths from a criminal defense attorney it's always about the money. And when they say it's not about the money, then you know it's about the money. Listen, lots of people go through divorce. It sucks. It's expensive. But remember, um, you get a divorce. You don't go kill your spouse. Please remember that. Don't kill your spouse. Don't do that. All right. Next, Alec Murdoch. We're coming up on trial, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking within the next two weeks. We should know if Alec Murdoch is, in fact, guilty. We'll give him the presumption of innocence until and if a jury convicts him. But on more interesting news, yes, a Southern scandal. That's the uh, name of the uh, Netflix series that's going to coincidentally coincide with uh, Alec Murdoch's murder trial there in old Collinton County, South Carolina. It's going to be a three-part series and also addresses the mysterious deaths of longtime Murdoch uh, family housekeeper Gloria Satterfield and Stephen Smith, a Hampton County teenager whose body was found in the middle of a rural road in the summer of 2015. Now remember, 
That's the young man that uh, they believed was involved in a hit and run in the middle of the in the road. Uh, But when the family's home was searched, their hunting compound was searched, they were going to reopen the case as it relates to Stephen Smith because they found some new evidence. Hmm. Wonder what that could be. I don't know. But apparently, allegedly, maybe the Murdochs had something to do with covering up. We will have to wait and see. But let's face it. It is a game of who is going to blink first. I love this stuff. This is good lawyering. Remember, Alec Murdoch, you would normally think a lot of people are going to say, hey, let's waive speedy trial. Let's set this out way in the future. But he's got two very, very experienced criminal defense attorneys. And what have I always said? If you have a shot of winning a homicide trial, you need to go on the first setting because the prosecution never believes that you're going to go on the first setting. And there's a lot of information, okay? I've seen it before. You tell the client, hey, you know, it's a game of risk. Let's see. Let's, do you want to go? Let's go. Let's go. And they always say, no, no, we better stop. Okay, fine. That's their choice. We'll waive speedy trial. We'll set it out. But then the clients always notice, wow, they didn't have all their experts. They didn't have all their reports in. They hadn't turned over all the discovery yet. They continued their investigation and the case continued to build, didn't it? Yes, it did. The government, the prosecution, ladies and gentlemen, is like a huge steamroller. You know, the kinds that they you see out there laying asphalt in the street. They start off real slow. But once the government gets rolling against you, you don't want to step in front of it. It's just going to be ugly. So we'll see if the defense says, hey, we need a little more time, or even if the prosecution says we're not ready. All right. Ron Jeremy. That's right. Everybody's heard of Ron Jeremy. Well, he's been charged with lots of bad things to young girls and women over the last 20 some odd years. I'm sure there'd probably be more if they went back even farther. But he's been declared mentally incompetent to stand trial for all those sexual assault charges involving an alleged 21 women. Why has he been found unable and unfit to stand trial? He has dementia. I mean, remember, Ron Jeremy is now 69 years old. He pled not guilty back in August of 2021 to uh, more than 30 counts of uh, assault, and he's been held in pre-sentence confinement custody since June of 2020. And uh, the Los Angeles Superior Court, uh, the judge there, a guy by the name of Ronald Harris, says the actor suffered from incurable neurocognitive decline after medical reports said he has dementia, he's incoherent, and suffers from hearing loss. The attorney Uh, who represents Mr. Jeremy, Stuart Goldfarb, um, has been telling the court for some time that his client has been unable to recognize him when he visited him in the holding cell uh, before a court hearing. Now, a review of medical documents apparently um, reviewed in interviews with Jeremy has determined that obviously he has dementia and he cannot assist in his defense, which is one of the factors that uh, the court takes into consideration. And you need to be able to understand what the heck is going on in court. So now what happens? Does he just get to go free? No. A hearing on whether he is going to be held at the state hospital will be heard next month. And um, we'll see what the court does. My guess is he's going to a hospital. I believe he has no resources to go into assisted living or some sort of memory care, which if anyone's ever dealt with somebody that has Alzheimer's or dementia, you know that it's extremely, extremely expensive and it is a horrible, horrible 
disease. All right, next, if you're going to commit crime, get a theme song. I highly recommend it. So a man was apparently wielding a knife and blasting the Dukes of Hazard theme song while driving a stolen tractor. Now, of course, he's been taken into custody after a chase, but the apparently the town of Boone in North Carolina, the police department said that they received a call about a John Deere tractor being driven radically in a parking lot trying to hit, run down pedestrians. This was took place on Tuesday. The guy that uh, was ultimately determined to be the driver was a guy by the name of Ronnie Hicks. And you can take a look at this video um, of the incident showing Hicks plowing down stop signs and swerving past incoming traffic while he's being pursued by several police officers. At least eight cops with flashing lights on can be seen behind Mr. Hicks um, as he refused to stop. Now, remember, the maximum speed here was about 20 miles per hour, and it went on for about an hour. Now, the department chief, a guy by the name of Andy LeBeau, said that uh, he ordered officers to shoot the wheels of the tractors, but a determined Mr. Hicks continued to chase for a few more miles despite losing a tire. Apparently, the chief as well as the officers were concerned about the welfare and safety of their citizens, and uh, hence the reason why they tried to take out the tires. Hicks also intentionally rammed a police vehicle. Why is it always police vehicle? Police car. It's a police car. You know, cops always get out and say, say, oh, I got out of my police vehicle. Really? I don't get out of my vehicle. I get out of my car. Anyway, I digress. And um, they were the police were also concerned about uh, the parkway that he was entering. There was an elementary school there, so they didn't want him to get that far. So when the tractor was isolated in an area, one of the officers shot the tires of the uh, tractor uh, since the spike strips were apparently ineffective. Now, no one knows exactly why Mr. Hicks went on the uh, eluding spree that he did or why he was playing the theme song from, obviously, the popular TV show from many, many decades ago, uh, which is somewhat synonymous with police pursuits and um, going fast and jumping over hills, I guess. But anyway, this didn't exactly take place. So uh, Hicks turned onto a a piece of private property uh, where he ran out of road. Hicks then jumped out of the tractor and was wielding a knife. A police officer then uh, utilized a taser and uh, took the suspect down without any further injury. He was lucky he didn't get shot. Um, so that's good. Mr. Hicks has been taken into custody. Uh, charges are not exactly clear as of yet. I got one word for you. Eluding. Eluding is when you know the police are behind you and you keep going. That's it. Eluding. Maybe assault on a peace officer, resisting on all the other stuff when he gets done, not to mention all the numerous traffic violations, right? You got to have traffic violations thrown in there as well. But I tell you, if there is one charge other than maybe burglary for a first time offender to go to prison on, it's eluding. It is so dangerous when people are out there at high rates of speed, driving, weaving in and out of traffic, seriously dangerous. People get killed. Most judges that I know will send you to prison for eluding and burglaries. You don't go breaking into other people's homes. Thank goodness he didn't do that. And then finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. Our dumb criminal attempted to grab then smash a evidence property bag to, I guess, hope to eliminate the drug paraphernalia. Problem is she did it right in front of the police. Please meet Abby Louise Davis. That's right. She apparently showed up at a Publix with a fellow uh, patron 
And uh, the employees kept an eye on her because she was in the store for four hours where she was allegedly eating sandwiches and other items and not paying for them. At some point, though, the uh, police were called and they made contact with um, our dumb criminal of the day. The authorities were finally contacted when they believed that uh, she was stealing some vitamins. Eat the food, but don't steal the vitamins. Anyway, when the Cape Coral police arrived um, and they were conducting their interview, they also conducted a pat-down search of uh, Davis's bag, and they didn't discover any stolen goods. One would argue the search would end there. However, during the interrogation, officers noted something inside of her bag. That's right, a glass pipe, commonly referred to as a crack pipe. Now, the officers um, would obtain this evidence. They seized it, and they later tested that there was a residue for fentanyl on the pipe. The pipe was placed in an evidence bag, and then Ms. Davis was handcuffed. Davis, while still detained, launched herself off of the pavement, snatched the evidence bag. She then hurled it towards the ground before jumping and smashing the glass device into fragments. As Mrs. Davis did not know, but the officer explained to her, it didn't matter whether the pipe was intact or in pieces. The evidence was there, and the officer could testify to that. Needless to say, Ms. Davis was arrested and transferred to the Lee County Jail. She faces charges of larceny, possession of drug paraphernalia, and, of course, resisting an officer. I would throw in there maybe tampering with evidence. I would throw that in there as well. Just just saying. Anyway, Miss Davis, you are a dumb criminal of the day. Congratulations. All right. Hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you haven't noticed, we're kind of trying out a new set. Let me know what you think. You always have to keep improving. And that's what we're trying to do to bring you the best show that we possibly can. Have a wonderful day, not just a great day, and we'll see you next time on Crime Talk.